Okay, so here's as follows. On the news recently, in the last month or so, there has been a discussion, and then eventually it played out, a strike in two of the largest hospitals in New York, which I believe are two of the largest hospitals in the country, nurses going on strike. That's where I trained in And that's where you trained, exactly. Um, so the question is, what I want to deal with is, is a nurse, or a doctor for that matter, or we can even broaden it, anyone halachically able to go on strike? Now, what I'm not going to discuss is the idea of unionizing, collective bargaining, because there's something fundamentally different between negotiating a contract from the outset, and then in the middle of a contract, once you have already given your word saying, this is what I am going to do, I understand the terms from the outset, I agreed to this paycheck, I agreed to these work conditions, environment, and hours, and suddenly in the middle I want to renege, and because you're not going to... Uh, allow that to happen, I'm going to go on strike, thus incurring a loss on your part. I think we can, it's fair to say there's definitely a difference between that and, again, a, no, a negotiation from the outset. And especially when, these, when the consequences are heightened, and it's not just I'm not going to show up to my warehouse and stock shelves so you can't meet the supplier's demands, but in fact there are people's lives who are going to be at risk. And if you say it's not really people's lives at risk because they're going to bring in nurses from elsewhere, I'm sure you, the doctor in the room can tell us what's the patient going to feel like or what is it, how does a doctor feel when there's a nurse who's new, who doesn't know where things are in the hospital, doesn't know the protocol of the hospital? It's not going to be as efficient. And everyone likes having their nurse. And when you have that roving nurse who just kind of shows up and doesn't really know the patient, people don't feel as safe and secure. So psychologically, it's not healthy as well. So the question I want to deal with is, does a nurse or a doctor have the right to go on strike? Which I think is a very, uh, it's, it's, Relevant now, but it's also it's, it's, it's always relevant. And in order to do this, so we'll take questions a little uh, soon. In order to do this, we have to look at four different areas. Two are going to seem more random, and two are going to obviously sound more like they're on target. But at the end, we'll put together these four pieces into a puzzle so that we can come to some sort of conclusion. Number one, we need to discuss the obligation to heal. Is there an obligation to heal? What exactly is the obligation to heal? Number two, is there... Is it important to pay a doctor? Now, Elliot, think of course, of course you have to pay a doctor. But it is that you have to pay a doctor. I remember. I don't, I don't, don't try this at home. When I was in, I don't know, eighth or ninth grade, I went to the orthodontist, and he said to me, you need upper braces. Okay, so I got them. Come back a year later, I had perfect bottom teeth. He goes, you need lower braces. So I wasn't chutzpahdik. I looked at him, and I said, why? Do you need to repave your driveway? <laughs> and my parents weren't happy. But hey... This many years later, I can laugh at that. So, again, is it important to pay a doctor? Where does that come from? What is it important to pay a doctor? This is going to be vital for our discussion. Why? We'll see soon. Number four, we have to zoom out and see, can anyone go on strike? Because again, yes, while the consequences are clearly heightened when it comes to the medical field, but really anywhere, as we just noted, you give your word for, the detention here is you give your word for something, and now you want to back out. What right do you have to back out? And I don't want to discuss the strikes that took place now in the 1800s in America with the, in, in the coal mine strikes in, in, in 1904 with Teddy Roosevelt, the famous strikes then, where they were arguing and fighting over workplace conditions. That's, that might be very different. We're talking about now in 2022, we have a very strong OSHA. It's more about benefits and improving benefits and raising salary over the amount of hours that people are working or the and unable to keep up with and the, work, the amount of days in the work week and the workplace environment. I think that's an important distinction to make as well. Okay, and number four, we're going to put it all together and say, can a doctor 
or does it apply to doctor? Does our conclusion about striking does it apply to doctor, or does it not apply to someone in the medical field? Are there any questions? Not not uh, thoughts, but any questions on what I said? The strike were they? Was it a new contract they were they were striking about new negotiations, or it was they were in a current contract? I'm not totally sure, but I also it might also be different when you are the nurse and the assumption is you're going to like, if you walk off the job now they're not going to be nurses to replace you. Okay, so number one, let's go. What is the obligation to heal? Where in the Torah does it say thou shall heal? Permission, you're paid. Yes, you have permission to heal. Where does it say thou shall heal? <laughs> when it's when Elliot in, involves himself in let's call it holy work. What mitzvah is he fulfilling? Is it same mitzvah that you're allowed to? You're obligated. To, it's a double. You're, 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 you're quoting something else. What Elliot is quoting is as follows. There's an interesting tension. We, we brought this up, I think, in numerous other places. That if someone is sick, why are they sick? Everything happens from God. So what right do we have to step in there and to try to heal them? After all, they are God afflicted them. God gave them the sickness. By us stepping in there, we are playing around with God's divine plan. Comes along the Torah to tell us, yes? What if Hashem wants us to go on to heal the person that's sick? Exactly. So as, as you said, Moshe? Like, Shalom. Shalom. So uh, Shalom said, what if Hashem wants to heal the sick? And precisely, that's the answer. The Torah tells us, the Yerapa, Yerapa, you should heal. Giving us license to heal, but I'll, I'll add on, if you look at the way the Shulchan Aruch form, formulates it, Shulchan Aruch doesn't just say one has a license to heal, almost as if it's, it's Bidi Eved. It's, oh, you want to rely on a leniency, we found one for you. But rather, the Shulchan Aruch says, mitzvah. It's a mitzvah to heal. To say that this is, don't think, don't have this almost corrupted ideology of a person sick, God made them, we say, that's, the way, that's God's plan, I'm not getting myself involved. There are people who think that. There are other religions who have this corrupted ideology, but that's a corrupt way of thinking about what is the divine plan. From our perspective, God gave us a mitzvah to heal, which means when we encounter someone who is sick, or for that matter, anyone who's in a dire straits, our obligation, our response, our halakhic response is to heal, to help, to redeem them, to do whatever it must be in order to bring them back to a place of shlemus, of, of, of peace, harmony, and health. Some people say, well, if you have complete amunah, then you're supposed to get healed, God. Well, that, that's my point. That's a corrupt ideology. No one says that because the verse tells us, you're up, you're up, you have, you have license to heal, meaning to say, not just license, but you now have a command, you have to heal. The question, though, is, where in the Torah does it say, once you what mitzvah are you fulfilling? We just talked about the dispensation to heal, but where is the license? Doesn't it say that um, if you see somebody in in need of help, like in a pit or something, it doesn't take too much away or put you in danger. Your Good. Okay, so in Bar's name, in one source, we're going to get there in, the se in, in a second. The first source I want to bring up. No, I was going to say, what about the whole idea of saving a life? Good. So, okay, so. How sick he is. So the, the, those two sources, let's put it aside for one minute. The first source is in the Rambam. The Rambam comes in a very interesting place. In Nesechtis Nadarim, it deals with the laws, laws of vows. Vows are, if I say, I am not going to have any sort of benefit from. This sheet of paper, I can no longer have benefit from this sheet of paper. It's a now a orisa. The Torah now prohibits me from having benefit from this paper. I'm taking a vow. We take vows. So it's a concept found in all religions. The concept of a vow. If a person says to someone else, like a person, two people get into a fight, and person number one says to person number two, let's name person number one Edward, and he said, turns to person number two named Stephen, says, Stephen, I'm having, you can have no benefit from me. That means Stephen is now prohibited to go into Edward's house. He can't... Uh, eat from his food, anything that would be perceived as benefit. 
However, the Mishnah tells us that if Stephen falls sick, Edward can come and heal him. Why? Why is he allowed to heal him? After all, he's, now he's getting benefit from his, his knowledge as a doctor. He's getting benefit from the fact that he, he was sick and now he's going to be healed. Says the Rabbim as follows, this is the source number one. It's a mitzvah to heal. Again, highlighting the idea that it's not just a dispensation. That's a distorted ideology. You can even think of it as a dispensation, but it's a mitzvah. There's an obligation, minhadin. The Torah commands us to heal. Look at the verse. Look at the verse that Rabbam quotes. What's the verse he quotes? If I'm walking down the street and I see a wallet, and the wallet on it says, Norma, what is my obligation? Return it to normal. I might look inside. and you know, But Hashavah Seveda. In fact, if I ignore it, I'm over a, I'm over a, in violation of a, of a prohibition of do not ignore. Lo ignoring. Says the Rambam, well, what's the difference between returning someone's lost item or, or returning their health, their spirit, or their nefesh? It's all the same. What we're doing is we're taking something. We have the ability to restore something to someone that they no longer have. So under the the rubric of Hashavah Saved, returning an object, don't just think of it in monetary terms, in terms of a concrete item, but also if you can restore their spirit, you can restore their health. Hashavah Saved, a positive command. You didn't think of it, but you were actually the lost and found, Elliot. You put that above your office. Cardiology, lost and found. Correct. Correct. Okay. But yes. Yeah. It's possible Bikr Cholam could come from there. It's also Bikr Cholam might be more about. No, I'm saying you're talking about yeah, yeah, correct. I, I'm trying to think if, I, if anyone talked about in Bikr Cholam also a concept of Shavas as well. For some reason, in the back of my mind, I have like, like Ramban might use, utilize that verse as well. Bikr Cholam also could stand. There's a couple reasons for Bikr Cholam. I don't want to get into that. It also could be that you go to visit someone, it leads you to daven for them, or it leads you to help them and see what they need to talk to the doctor. So, but yes, you're right. It could all be within the same rubric. Okay, fine. So source number one is Hashavah Saveda. Doctors heal. Source number two, as Inbar said and as Stan said, if you look in the Shulchan Aruch, the Shulchan Aruch quotes two verses. One is the source to heal. Now Norma can see me. It's also part of Pekuach Nefesh. Again, uh, helping someone who's, who's uh, in Pekuach Nefesh in dire straits, whose uh, life is at risk. If someone holds back from healing. A person holds back from healing. Wow, strong words. He's spilling blood, i.e. he's a murderer. If you have the ability to heal someone and you don't, you're a murderer. How can you just walk by? This is obviously the assumption is you have the ability and it's not going to harm you. You're a murderer. Etc., etc. And it, it, what do you say? No. No, punishment is only when you explicitly murder. But the point is, the other the, the other source is that you have not, you can't stand idly by while someone is uh, while someone is in dire straits, someone's harm. And the and the Shulchanar goes on to point out, but you have to be someone who's a bucky, who's an expert in healing, right? You always have the people who they, they think they know how to heal, but they don't necessarily know how to heal. That's they're not part of that. The question is again, what we want to get at is someone who can heal, who does not heal has a problem, which by the way, opens an interesting question. So can a doctor go on vacation? 
Can a doctor go on vacation? Dude, obviously you have to live life, but like to what extent? Or maybe we should all go to medical school and all get trained as EMTs. So I think what we could say about this is the same reason. No one says, I don't know, uh, the question, a person can retire, but if they go work longer, they can have more money to give to tzedakah. There's no obligation to work longer. The mitzvah of tzedakah is when you, what you have, you give from. So uh, I think you can make a similar, a similar assumption here as well, an analogy here. The mitzvah is if you have the skills, you train for them, then you have to heal. But obviously you have to be, you have to uh, also live your regular life, which includes going on vacation, etc., etc. So does this apply to trades? Do you have a specific trade or knowledge? I know what good Samaritan laws protect doctors if they do something basic like CPR or the Heimlich, but when they do like more advanced procedures, they need specialized training that only doctors can do. Good Samaritan laws don't cover that. You're actually, isn't that true? You're actually liable for like these advanced procedures under your own insurance, only basic stuff that... Well, years ago, I was, like, I'd be the first cardiologist in the hospital. I was the only one. And the obligation either is or both Hashavas Haveda as we restoring their nephesh, restoring their soul, or Losuchulasal, you can't stand idly by when someone has need. Okay, that's part one. Important to know this. Let's put that over here on the shelf. We're gonna come back to it. Don't forget it, it's right over here. Not over here, over here. Number two, the right to make money. Must a doctor take money? Can a doctor take money? What exactly is going on there? So there's a fascinating Gemara. The Gemara says as follows. I'm gonna stand up for this one. Why not? The Gemara says as follows. A person is damaged. person is damaged. What must the person who damages pay? Are we familiar? If someone damages me, what are they going to pay me? Five things. Five things. Sar, for the pain that caused. Nezek, for the actual damage. Sar, for the pain that was caused. Repoy, for the doctor bills. Uh, is for the lost wages. I can't go to work for a week. And Bosch is for the embarrassment. I don't know if I have to wear a cast in my nose. It's very embarrassing to pay for that. And the Gemara talks about how you evaluate these various, uh, these various payments. Okay. That's just, that's halacha 101 when it comes to damaging. Says the Gemara's files, I give you the scenario. I'm driving down the highway. I get rear-ended. Hurt my arm. I get out of the car. Turn around and behind me, the plate that hit me says MD. <laughs> okay, the guy gets out of the car wearing his wearing his white his nice white coat because he's one of those doctors who has to wear it wherever he goes, and he says, "Here, buddy." Opens his wallet up and says, "Here's for the payment for the nezek for the damage, the tsar, the pain you're in, the shevis you lost wages, the boshes the embarrassment." I said, "Excuse me, what about the doctor bills?" Don't worry. But you see, my doctor, you come to my office tomorrow. I have the right to say no. I don't want to use you. What if, I'll give you a different scenario. Guy rear-ends you, you get hurt, walk out of the car. Guy does the same thing. You say, oh, what are doctor bills? He goes, don't worry. Look, you know who I am? I say, I have no idea who you are other than the guy who doesn't know how to drive. Because let me tell you who I am. My best friend is Dr. So-and-so in Columbia University who has a 10-month waiting list for, I can have you in his office in an hour. We all know that guy, right? Yeah. He, so this is the guy. Don't worry. You're going to see my best friend, Dr. So-and-so. He's going to treat you for free in Colombia. You as well have the right to refuse and say, no, I don't want to see your doctor for free. Why? Says the Gemara as follows. Because any doctor who works for free is going to give you the uh, quality care of free. And it makes a lot of sense because if you think about it for a moment, the Russia stipulates this as well. You have a doctor who, let's say, bills $600 an hour, and if they're, uh, if they're billing insurance, and they build insurance $55,000 an hour. I don't know why doctors do that. 
What problem they do that? So, doc, and you got five dollars exactly. All right. So the doctor, imagine this. The doctor knows you. Room number one, he's walking in there. He's making six hundred dollars. Room number two, he's walking in there making six hundred dollars. Room number three is his friend's is his friend's uh, guy who he sent there who he has to see for free. And then room number four, five, and six, he's making more money again. So what do you, where do you think his mind's going to be when he's going to visit the freebie? He's going to be thinking, I've got to get, do, make this as quick as, and hasty as possible so I can get back to billing. Therefore, because this is human psychology, people, when, they're get, when they get paid for things, they end up giving better care. So you have a right to say to this guy, I know you have the top doctor in the country. I don't want to see him because I know his mind is not going to be on healing to me. It's going to be, how can I quickly dispense of you so I can get back to billing? In fact, the Gemara goes on. It's not as related. The Gemara says, what if the guy says to you, look, I have a doctor for you, but he's out of the, he's from a different country. I'll fly him in. As well, you can, and then as well, you can say, I don't want him because a doctor who knows his reputation is not on the line, who has nothing to lose. So he's going to be, he's going to oh, try something experimental. I'm not going to be as careful. Now, who actually checks these websites, you know, the doctor websites that give ratings? No one does that. I think someone gave my great-grandfather a rating last week on these things. No, no one really checks these. We do check these. We all check these things, but come on, who's, who's rating on that thing? So because of that, you're rating on that thing. Okay. No, but, I'm going to say, he's giving care for free. He's giving care. I think it's the, the equivalent. So I'll tell you, because of this, because of this clow, Rav was actually asked the following question. A doctor said, I want to give care for free. I think the context of the, uh, of the case was it was during a strike. A doctor said, I can't leave my patients out. But again, I, ha I owe the, the union, the, the, because of my, I'm a union member, I can't charge. Can I still go in and treat for free? Or do I have to pay to some extent because I am, uh, because uh, th th there's some sort of thing that I, maybe I won't be as careful? Or what if a doctor, a person I want to work for, I don't know, the doctors without borders. And I want to, again, I'm not going to get payment for that. I don't know how exactly how the arrangement there works. I want, is Gemilas Chasadim, the fact of doing Chasadim, is that enough of a motivator to, do, to be a doctor? So we'll leave that aside for now, but let's just assume in general, a doctor should be paid. If a doctor wants to get paid, let's put it at that at least. If a doctor wants to get paid, the doctor should be paid, because otherwise it can compromise the quality of the care. So now we have two things. One is the doctor has an obligation to heal, so much so he can't walk away the same way you can't walk away from a lost object. You can't walk away from someone who's sick if you have the ability to heal them. Or for that matter, you can't walk away from someone who's in need, you can't, from someone who is, uh, who's, who's, you no, know, who's dying. But on the other hand, also a doctor has an obligation to be paid, to be covered, to be paid for the expenses and paid for his services. Okay, these two pieces now on the shelf. Two pieces in the puzzle. What are you saying a doctor has an obligation to be paid? It seems almost that way. Doctor has, if the doctor wants to get paid, he has an obligation to be paid because it can compromise his care. Well, it's, not, it's not his obligation. You're saying the doctor can't work for nothing. Yeah, very possibly, but then again, it could be the patient can say, I don't want to, I want to pay you. That's different. You're saying the obligations on the doctor took it. Again, I, don't want to, I didn't spend that much time looking through this tshuva from Zilberstein, but if you think about it, if it's coming from the psychological point of view, if the doctor says, I'm retired, I'm sure the doctor's retired. I have an uncle. He retired. He's a dentist for many years. He retired. And so I think he spent one day a week working in a clinic, you know, I don't know where, in Appalachia. He's in Pennsylvania. He'd drive down to that clinic, and he'd work for free. I assume there... Then it's not like his mind is like I want to get out of here. It's I'm dedicating my life, you know, one week a, a week of my, of my life to uh, of my week, excuse me, to helping these people who can't afford payment. Okay. As a um, arbitration lawyer, or a contract lawyer, both parties have to pay, or else you're going to be concerned he has 
more of a way one way. It could be, could be. Okay, it could be there as well. That's more of it comes from bribery. Okay, number two is the rights to strike. What are the right to strike? So I think what we have to ask is, what exactly is a worker? So when, I, when we finish this year, I'm actually going to be going and giving a longer share uh, to a group of alumni of Yeshiva, and I'm going to be discussing this topic at length. I hope I can um, make it make sense between now and then. But listen to this as follows. The Gemara tells us, this is something we know as well, there are two types of workers you can have. And if I ask you, you'll agree. To it. There's something called a day laborer. What's a day laborer? You pick them up maybe in the morning or you hire them at the beginning of the week and they're essentially working for you. You pay them by the hour and you ask them, what is your job? They'll tell you to do whatever the boss says. So if it's harvesting my wheat, cleaning the lawn or painting the fence, you're a day laborer. That's what you are. There's also something called a cobbler or a contractor. What's a contractor? You generally hire them for a project. Oftentimes, there's no, they're the ones who actually tell you how long it's going to take. You don't tell them, I need it done by the end of the week. It's a contract. They can choose to do it all in one week. They can choose to do it over the course of many months. They can choose to work one hour a day and do it for many months or work 24 hours and do it really quickly. It's more of they're working for themselves and you are hiring them. Two types of workers, Koblen versus a Poel. Poel, again, is a day work laborer. A, a Koblen is a contractor. Says the Gemara, this is fascinating. If a Poel, someone who you pick up, let's say, in the morning and you say, can you work for me? He says, yes, okay, you work for me for, let's say, the, the day we're going to work. It's going to be $1,000 to work the day. You're going to harvest the wheat in my field. We like using these uh, agrarian uh, analogies. They're more fun that way. So you're going to come work in my field. $1,000. So your expectation is he's going to come in the morning, 6, 6 a.m., to work the day. Again, and in- interesting, the Gemara talks about this, the concept of the minuk asochrim, that there could be that if everyone takes lunch breaks, so that's the minuk, so it, you're going to pay him for the lunch break. Maybe even you have to pay him for lunch, depending on what the custom is in the place. And then he'll work until nightfall, and he'll give him his money, he'll go home. Okay. Says the Gemara, what happens if 12 o'clock, 12, 12 p.m., he eats his lunch, he's like, that bagel made me really tired. You know what? I'm done. Can he renege? Can he say, yes, I gave you my word. I'm sorry, I'm out of here. The Gemara says as follows. Not only can he say, Adios and Reneg, walk away. But Yadov El He has the upper hand. What does it mean he has the upper hand? So I'll give you a case. Let's say, as we just said, standard rate is $1,000 to hire someone for the day. You want to hire someone for half a day, midday, it's much harder to find someone who's not working halfway through the day. You're going to have to pay more money. It's going to cost you $600 to hire someone from 12 to 6. So $1,000 from 6, from six to tw- 6 to 6, but $600 from 12 to 6. So when he walks up to you and says, I'm, I'm leaving, you say, what do you mean you can't leave? You, you're staying all day. He goes, I don't care. I'm going to go. And then you say to him, but you're now incurring a loss on my end because now I have to go hire someone else, which means I'm out. I have to go find someone for $600. I'm paying you $500. I have to hire someone for $600. I thought this day would cost me 1000 It's going to cost me 1100 Right? The math makes sense? He says, I don't care. I have the upper hand. That's on you. Just because the, the wages, the price of wages went up the other day or because it's hard to hire someone, that's not my fault. And you can't say to him, no, I'm only going to pay you 400 because you're incurring a loss on my end. You have to still pay him 500 and you have to eat the loss. As Nabala Bias, the owner of the field eats the loss. The question is why? He gave you his word. He said he was coming all day. What gave him the right to renege? And at least if he's going to walk away, he should have to eat the loss of and he should, that he's causing, the harm he's causing on the owner. And I'll make it even one step further. Are you ready for this? This is, this is a little controversial, but the Shulchan Aruch is this way. What if you hire the guy and you pick him up in the morning, you give him the check right away? You give him the $1,000. So 
So he comes to you, he comes to you at, um, at lunchtime and walking away. He said, okay, fine. So give me back the 500. He worked me half a day. I know I can't ask for 600 back because, oh, I'm so sorry. During the lunch break, not only did I eat a bagel, I also went to the casino. It's gone. So what, what do you think you should say to him? Okay, so it's gone. Now you got to work for me. Sorry, Charlie. You're here till, till, till you work off your debt, i.e. till 6 p.m. Says the Shulchan no. He can say to you, here's an IOU. I owe you 500. I'll see you tomorrow with the money. He always has the upper hand. The question again is why? Why can he renege? Why can he walk away? Why, if he does so, if there's a loss, the owner has to, has to eat it? And number three, even if he doesn't have the money to pay it back, he could say, I'll get you the money. The chov's on me. The obligation's on me. I'll get you the money when I can. Right? It's a little, a little startling. Why did the Balabais, the owner, have to lose out? And says the Gemara something fascinating. Ready for this? The Gemara says, because there's a verse in the Torah that says, Ki li b'nei Yisrael avadim. God says, you, the Jewish people, are my slaves. You're my servants. Yismach Moshe Moshe says, he's happy, he's glad, in his chalik, in his portion. What was his, por- his portion? What was Moshe's portion? Ki evan nemon, because he was a slave. He was a servant to God. God says, you are my servants. The lo avadim avadim. But you're not servants to servants. God said to the Jewish people, you are servants only to me. You're not going to be a servant or a slave to another mortal human being who himself is a slave to me. Meaning to say as follows. And we're going to leave aside the story of an Evid Ivory. We can talk more about this in a few weeks. There is an area where we do allow for the nature of servitude. But standard protocol is that God extended a privilege to humanity. That we're not slaves. That if we want to go to work, we are what's called a poel. At most, a day laborer. And therefore, we can never put ourselves in a situation where we will become indentured. Even if we lose the money. So then we could say, okay, the chov is on me, the obligation is on me to pay it back, but I don't have to do it right now. I can always walk away. Employment at will seems to be an obligation that God extended to us. You could potentially waive that. You could potentially say, I don't want it, which then kind of maybe leads us to the discussion of the evidivery. But in a standard normal situation, we are servants only to God, not to another human being. With not just, that's not just a nice Devar Torah, a nice drush I'll give on, on Shabbos, Parshish, Mishpatim. But that's actually a, has a halachic ramification that therefore a day laborer can get up at 12 o'clock and say, not only am I leaving, not only am I incurring you a loss, but I'm not even paying you back the money you advanced to me. Sayonara, adios, I'll see you some other time with the money I owe you. Somebody works for somebody. There was a, can that be used in today's court? In, if, the, if, the, if the boss sues you? In Basden? Or in... Well, the best that were used, but I'm talking about in a civil court, in a, in American court. Well, American court, we're bound by American laws. Uh, well, the best that they would say was... I mean, you, you have to figure out how exactly we filed Poskin, how we filed through in terms of all the halakhic Poskin. Yeah. Somebody works for somebody that's considered a habit? No, they're, they're a poem, a day laborer. That's what I'm saying. So a day laborer is... is, is no, the point, the point that the point that that we're making is the distinction between being a day laborer, seemingly, and an eved is the ability to walk away. That what we're going to advance here is that if you can walk, the fact that you can walk away means you're not actually stuck. If you were to put yourself in a situation where you were stuck, then you're putting yourself under this perhaps prohibition of making yourself an eved, and that's the difference. Now, this is what. Put the person who walked away put himself in that situation. Yeah, you're not allowed to make yourself an evid. I'm not allowed to sign a contract, perhaps, we'll see this in a minute, which will lock me in that I can't walk away. Because by doing so, I make myself into an evid. That's not allowed. And the Torah is telling us, don't do that. And 
How do I know you can't do that? Because we're giving you the prerogative as a free human being that you're a poel, a day laborer, which means at the most you work, but if employment at will, you want to walk off the job, you could do so. That is not to say that the owner doesn't have uh, taromas, a, a, a claim against him, doesn't have complaints against him. Like we, we will waive certain laws of Lush and Hara here. He can, he, can, he can then perhaps go to Besden or go to the public's town square, town square and say, don't hire Gussie Katz. Yes, he had a right to walk away, but he's a terrible worker. He walked away. The, that, that concept does exist. That he can he can c come up there and again, how formal that is, he can certainly make the claim and he can he can not be smirching me. He can let the people know he's a bad worker. He doesn't keep his word. That's definitely there. But the point is that he can't say I have a hold on you because by doing so, he's saying you're in a way you're a slave to me. I put hundred dollars on the table and someone steals it. You say, well, I'm not, I'm not guilty because you violated the neighbor. You tempted me, so I stole. Therefore, it's on my fault. No, the, the the person who's in violation here is is the uh, is the the, the, the poel, the worker, not the owner. It's not the person giving the contract. It's the it's the it's the person who's taking the contract on. But his defense is, I, I can't be an evidence, so therefore, I, you know, I can I have the upper hand. He, he, correct. So again, so, well, again, if I put hundred dollars on someone steals it, well, it, it's it's my fault because I I violate I violate the paper. Uh, I I tempted him, and he fell for the temptation. Well, maybe you're both in violation there, but I don't see the, I don't see the, I mean, unless, okay, if you're trying to say as follows, like, how can I extend a contract for more than three years, or whatever, more than seven years, or how can I create a situation where you can't walk away, because then I'm the one who's making you a slave? Well, there's, there's, we have, we have this understanding, and, and something came up, I changed my mind, and therefore, I, you can't hold me liable, because you're not making me never die, I can't make myself never, so if you place, then don't, then don't walk away. I'm not following. Can we discuss it after? Okay. You alluded to some, a totally different issue for another day, but the whole uh, idea of non-compete agreements. Which is coming up right now in Congress. It says that I won't uh, go to work for somebody that does the same kind of stuff within 50 miles of here and Yeah, so it's a different issue, but it happens to be once because only because you I wasn't gonna talk about this, but because you brought it up, one of the distinctions between a poel and a cobbler, between a contractor and a a contractor and a day laborer, among them are by the way, a, a contractor can lock himself in to something, and the reason for that is because if you the way I phrase it, if you think I think about it. Because ultimately a contractor is working for themselves, they're just saying I'm doing work for you, but I'm, I'm my boss. I can choose my own hours, so it doesn't look like you're an evidence. It doesn't look like I'm, I'm a servant to someone else, which is why some point out if, if, a, if a contractor goes to someone, the person goes, I need this tremendous amount of work done by the end of the week, and the guy has to work 24-7, that might be more of a problem. But a general contractor, they make their own hours. They're the ones who generally tell you it's going to take six months, it's going to take ten months. They can choose when to work, and therefore they can't just renege. If they do, they have the lower hand because then you can't apply this verse of you're a servant to someone else because they're really they're working for themselves. Another distinction that Stan brought up, and this is something that's going to be on the news probably soon, it's already starting to percolate a little bit, is that idea of non-compete. A POEL is actually bound by non-compete in the sense that if you're a day laborer, and let's say you're hired for the week to work from sunup to sundown, you're not allowed to go and get a job at night. Why not? 
because the job at night is going to affect your performance during the day because you're going to uh, be tired. Imagine you work all day and you work all night. How are you going to work during the day? Again, I think the distinction here is going to be will it, will it or will it not affect your ability to work? Not necessarily what we're discussing here, but again, that's just you, you asked me about it. I brought it up. Let's move on. Okay, so that's that's the first thing. There's the right to walk away. Um, that's the way the Shulchan Aruch Paskins. Then the Shulchan Aruch says, this is very, very interesting, the Shulchan Aruch quotes the Ramah, quoting a Mordechai, who says, it's for this reason that we don't extend contracts for a uh, rabbi or for a malame, a teacher, more than three years. Because by doing so, you're seemingly transforming this person into an Evet. You give him a three-year contract. Why three years? What's beyond three years? And he has a scriptural verse for why that would be. But basically, he says, we should not give a contract beyond three years because you're now binding, you're, you're making someone bound to be with you, to work for you for three years, and they can't get out of that. Well, seemingly not, because he's putting himself into the situation. However, however, the, the Hassam Sofer is like, I don't understand. We don't, you look, I look all around, and, and these contracts are given. These contracts are given. So what's going on here? So number one is, Tosfos comes here, Tosfos jumps in, and Tosfos is like, no. I don't know what everyone's talking about. The only issue of having a long-term contract is when you're actually bound as an Evid Ivri. If you're not an actual Evid Ivri, you're not an actual servant, so you can have a long-term contract. Because you're work, you're work, you chose to enter into that contract, and you can proudly renege at any point. Okay. It's employment at will. This, and he totally rejects this Mordechai that you can only have a three-year, you can have a three-year or less contract. Chassam Sofer says, so maybe the Mordechai is correct. Then the Chassam Sofer says as follows. He goes, why do, why do rabbis have contracts? He goes, I have never heard of a shul firing a rabbi. They wouldn't do that. They wouldn't do that. Who can fire a rabbi, he says. The reason the contract's there is for the rabbi's benefit. Like the rabbi knows that every three years or five years, he has the ability to renegotiate so that if he wants to walk away, people can't claim, oh, how can a rabbi just walk off? But ultimately, the contract's there for the rabbi and not for the not not, not for the shul. The Orchah Shulchan disagrees. The other way to look at it is, and Chassam Sofer kind of points this out, but the others point this out as well, is back then, the Muhammad, the teacher, what, how would they earn their living? It wasn't, they didn't necessarily have schools. They'd go to the wealthy family in town. They'd say, well, you, can you hire me for three, four, five, six, seven years? And they'd live in the house. And sometimes they'd live there for consecutive years. They wouldn't even go home. They'd just send money home. So he goes, when you have someone who's living in the house and never really leaving, and they're sleeping in the house, and they're eating from the table of the Balabayas, that looks like a servitude. But if you're living in your own house, so then, if you're living in your own house, so then you can't stay at servitude even if you have a three or four year, five year contract. So now I'll tell you as follows. The Debetzina Rav, the Debetzina Rav was, or Betzal, no, Debetzina Rav's brother, or Moshe Stern, writes in, he's Moshe Stern, or Betzal Stern, he writes in the, uh, in the, uh, Betzal, he goes, well, what if the house is provided by the show? What if the show provides the house? So I'll tell you. Let me turn this off for a second. Not that I, it's okay if I have it on, but I'm going to turn it off for a second. Either way, so the Chazam Sofer kind of says, like, if you're not actually living off the house, that all, that's not a dispensation. But where does this leave us? Where does this leave us? It's seemingly where this, all this leaves us is, if you want to walk off a job, you have the right. It's your prerogative. Which means if you want to go on strike, L'chorah, it's no different than saying, I'm not going to work for you. I'm not your servant. And therefore, I'm going to stand outside and stand with a big pickup and saying, I want more wages. I want more whatever it may be. All is good and well. Except... A little footnote. Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch, it's like three or four lines. 
You ever look at the page of Shulchan Aruch? There's many commentaries. One of the commentaries is the Pesach Tshuva. We quoted this last night. Who was it last night? Here, anyone here? We'll quote it again then. Great. Pesach Tshuva. What it is is that among the many commentaries, there are also books of Shilos and Tshuvas, which are rabbinic responsa. We spent all last year on Sundays discussing them. The problem with rabbinic responsa is a that they're not necessarily organized according to Shulchan Aruch, which means if I open up the Shulchan Aruch here, I don't know who which rabbi wrote on this. Could be a rabbi I've heard of. Could be a Tshuva I never ever heard of. Number two is I also need to have a vast library. Or nowadays it all comes on a little thumb drive. But back then you need to have a last library to know all the rabbinic responsa. So what the Pischei Tshuva went ahead and did was he compiled all the rabbinic responses he knew on each simon in each part of Shulchan Aruch and put it as a footnote. Saving people a lot of time, but also it's a great resource. Now, I would never know to look in the Chachma Shlomo we're going to quote now. I wouldn't know that he had a tshuva on this, but it turns out he does. Says the Chachma Shlomo as follows. One minute. Can you walk off a job claiming, yes, I gave you my word, but I'm going to renege. But I, it's my prerogative to renege and walk away because, after all, I'm a free man. God said I'm only, I'm only a servant to God, not a servant, not a servant to you. Can you do that, but then immediately go and employ yourself to someone else? Because if you do that, if you go to someone else and, and go under, under someone else's employ, employment, essentially what you're saying is, not that I care about serving someone else. Not that I care about the idea of being an evit to someone else. What you're saying is, I just didn't want to work for you. And in order to find a way that I can get out of my contract and break my word, I'm just going to quote a verse and sound holier than thou. But come on, he says, you gave your word. Your word means something. You promised to work the, for the duration of the day. How can you walk off at 12 o'clock and at 12.01 then go work for someone else? Clearly, it wasn't because you were tired because of the bagel. It was because you just didn't want to work for this guy. Because the guy next door is offering more money. Whatever it may be, that is wrong, he says. You can't claim you don't want to be an evid. You don't want to be a slave because, after all, you're going under, under to someone else's employment. You're going to someone else's employment, which, by the way, I think this also highlights the prohibition is very much on the individual, not on the on the uh, bias, not on the person giving the contract. This is what this is what the Chachma Shlomo says. So says Rav Zilberstein, Zilberstein. If the Chachma Shlomo has a problem. With you walking off a job and immediately going under someone else's employment, Kalvachomer, certainly he'd have a problem with you walking off a job only to return the next day but with more money. I.e., he'd have a problem with you going on strike. Because what's what do you do when you go on strike? You're saying, I don't want to work for you because I don't want to be your slave. Give me more money, I'll come back to work for you. Because that's just you're just using you're utilizing and using the Torah and a principle of the Torah for your own benefit, not because you actually care about this fact that you're a servant to a servant. And therefore, if Zilberson says it's usher for someone to go on strike. However, however he says, there's always however, the Gemara Yuma tells us as follows, that in the times of, this, of the second temple, there was a family who had the recipe for the lechem upon for the showbread, in a way they made it that was fresh and wasn't too brittle, it wouldn't crack. And the, the sages want to know what was this recipe, they, they wouldn't tell this recipe to anyone. And it, effectively, over the duration of the story, which we're not going to get, I don't want to go into the whole story, because it's, it's long, and, because, of, uh, because, of, because of timing, they basically, they had to pay them more money. It sounded like some sort of collective bargaining here. So, so someone said to Zilberstein, maybe you could say from there we see that you could go on strike. They actually stopped performing the Avoda in order, until they were willing to give them more money. He goes, no, but maybe that was the beginning of a new contract. Not a good proof. But then he found this amazing proof. It comes from the Oal Moshe. I do not know who the Oal Moshe is. I should look who he is. Later I'll look him up. There was a town. Let's 
Put, give me a random town in uh, in Europe. Schnippershuk. Why not? You always go to Schnippershuk. In Schnippershuk, the way it worked, yeah, why not? The butchers were some sort of butcher's guild. They went to the city and said, hire us to be your butchers, and this is what we'll give. Some places give a BOGO, buy one, get one free. We will shech the cows for whatever fee it costs to shech the cow. I don't know. $50 a cow. And if the people bring along a chicken, we'll do that for free. Right, buy one and get a free chicken. Okay. This is all was good and well, and this was how the business went for many years. Suddenly, for whatever reason, maybe it's the opposite of the uh, avian flu we have going on now, cows were no longer coming, and everyone started bringing chicken. I don't know, maybe some people came to town and only eat chicken. Whatever happened, the, 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 the dynamics changed that no one was bringing cows to them, and everyone was bringing chickens. Now they were stuck. Because it wasn't just they agreed to do chickens for free when you brought your cow, but it actually was they would always do chickens for free. They're kind of trying to bring people in the door. I guess what it is, you bring, someone comes in the door with a chicken, it's like, ah, oh, but I see a cow there, I want to get a cow as well. It's kind of like the, what, the M&M's at, at the checkout counter? It's a loss leader. It's a what? Loss leader. It's a loss, exactly, it's a loss leader. So the, um, at a certain point, the butcher's like, we can't, this, this, this can't last. Like, we only agreed to do the chickens because most people are, wanted meat. People want meat. But now that everyone only wants chickens, we're basically spending our day doing free work, and we, 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 are, we need to support our families. So they decided to change. They said, from now on, we're charging whatever fee was, $25 per chicken. At which point, there was a protest. Everyone said, you can't do that. You promised us you came in here. We hired you as the, as the butcher's guild because you gave us this deal. And now, who are you to change? So they came before the, the oil Moshe, and he listened to what he said. He said, they are allowed to change their mind because we called Panam Chadash's Bolakan. The circumstances so radically changed that the initial agreement no longer holds up. That whoever saw COVID, the war in Ukraine, inflation, so radically changed that prices in, in New York for how, I don't know, for a, a closet, used to, a closet apartment cost was $1,800. Now it's $2,500 for a closet apartment without a toilet. Just what it is in New York City. I don't know who wants to live there. People do. Strange. But, point is, the prices of, a price of living went up, the cost of living went up so much, perhaps one can make an argument that the initial agreement no longer holds up, not because we're saying you have the right to walk off because you don't want to be a slave to a slave because things have so radically changed you, you, can't, you can't afford to live that way. And therefore, maybe that would be a reason to allow for some sort of protest. In fact, Rav Cook, when the beginning of the State of Israel was asked this question, he basically said, this is, this is, this is, this is, this is an oral ruling, it's brought down, and in, everyone's quoting from the same place, I couldn't find the, the actual source of where it was, but he basically says, you can protest not to demand more wages but in order to get them to, in order to come to some sort of arbitration. Or, if there was an arbitration and they're not agreeing to it, you can, you can protest for them as well. But you can't just protest because you want more money. You protest in order to go to have a proper arbitration in front of a Besden, where you can actually come to a healthy agreement and not just where everyone's trying to win and it's never really healthy. Because then again, you, you entered into agreement initially. So, this is, this is what we have when it comes to striking. So, where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? Give me one second. Some coffee. What it leaves us is, it, there seems to be almost like an unease with, pro, with, with strike, with going on strike. On the one hand, a Poel can walk off. On the other hand, don't claim you're walking off because you don't want to be a servant, when after all, the whole reason you're walking off is because you just want more money. So, it seems the consensus of the post scheme is that when it comes to these sort of labor disputes and striking, do so in order to accomplish an arbitration. Don't just do so because you want more money, and that's what the actual protest is going to be. It has to be done with a certain thought process.
That being said, I'm, I'm a little short on time. That being said, the question now comes, does this apply in the medical field? Because of the heightened consequences of a doctor walking off their job. And again, we point that out, even if they're going to get a replacement doctor, there's no such thing as a replacement doctor. The roving doctor on the floor who doesn't really know the patient but kind of shows up is not doesn't offer the same quality care. The nurse who, know, who doesn't know the system, who now shows up there, it's like, you know, I mean, we've probably all been there either for ourselves or for our family members. It's like, I think, you know, the medicine's over here. No, not there. Like maybe it's, and, and, and it's just, it, it totally compromises the care and also puts the patient in a certain psychological uh, nightmare. So though they have the right to strike. So I'll tell you what happened. In 1983, 1983, there was a famous physician strike in Israel. If you look in your sources, this comes from Fred Ros Dr. Fred Rosner. He wrote an article, Physician Strike and the Jewish Law. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> he based this off a Hebrew article that was found in the um, <coughs> in the Asiya Journal, which is um, excuse me here, Charitetics Journal of um, I think Medicine and Bioethics. Strike had five phases. The Israeli physician strike of 1983 led to a series of rabbinic pronouncements on the improper. Imp you know what? Can someone else read while I get my voice back? Anybody want to read this one? Read. Oh, you read. Okay, go for it, Sandy. The Israeli physician strike of 1983 led to a series of rabbinic pronouncements on the impropriety and illegality of the strikes. The strike took place in stages. At first, physicians reported for duty as usual at government hospitals that charged fees for patients who sought care at hospital clinics. Stage two was a partial strike of doctors at hospitals and the establishment by physicians of their own clinics where they treated patients on a fee-for-service basis. Stage three was a refusal of nearly all physicians throughout the country, except for military doctors, to report for duty at government hospitals and clinics. Doctors simply went on vacation or did not appear. This went on for three days, as, at which time partial services were were resorted stage four. The fifth stage consisted of a hunger strike by physicians beginning at Soroka Hospital in Beersheba. Okay, that's that's good for now. So five stages. If you look the post game, the, the Rabbi Rashi, the chief rabbi, or Shlomo Zaman Orbach, or Yitzhak Yaakov Weiss, the, the, the biggest post game in Israel, they came out vehemently, vehemently opposed to these strikes. So how can you go on strike? They, the, and it's interesting, the tshuva, there are less doctors now than there are on Shabbos, implying that on Shabbos there are fewer doctors because you only have what you need from Kuach Nefesh. Then in the hunger strike, it's like you, you're going on a hunger strike that's going to totally compromise care. You know, how can you go on, how can you focus if you haven't eaten anything? So they came out against it, but the question is why? What was wrong with them going on strike? By the way, the military doctor thing was interesting because in, um, I think it was 40, 46 in America, the railroad went on, railroad workers went on strike. So one of Harry Truman's ideas was to basically draft them all into the army. Now they work in front of me, the commander-in-chief, they had to go to work. At the end, last minute before he did that, he, I think he, he was even going to Congress to brief them on this, uh, or make some sort of public announcement on this, he got a message that the strike was, broke, the strike was broken. But um, interesting, that's interesting about that. Okay, fine. So why can't they go on strike? So listen to what the Chavez Yoyer says. The Chavez Yoyer of Yol Bakrak, a German rabbi, he was asked the following question. There was a Chazan who showed up to the community, did a beautiful job with Yom Kippur, Shoshana. They loved him. So they offered him a 10-year contract. And part of the contract was a shvua. He had to swear he would abide by the contract for 10 years. Four years down the line, turns out the community next door had a nice 
offered a nicer salary. So he goes to the people and says, I'm off. They said, you can't leave. You took an oath that you are going to stay here for 10 years. To which the Chacham, Chazan, says, well, there's a principle in Halacha. You're not allowed to take an oath against the Torah. I can't take an oath. I'm going to consume pig. Because that's an oath against a, a, a violation of the Torah. The oath does not, is not a holding. I'm not in violation of taking an oath. I'm not in violation of, or I'm not in violation of being, of being of violating, not fulfilling the oath. And I'm not in violation of, because it's just, you can't take an oath against the Torah. So he says as follows, I took an oath, but it wasn't a real oath because it was in violation of a Torah because I put myself under the principle of being a slave to you. So the Chochem Chazan says, it doesn't hold up. I took an oath to, to work for you for 10 years, but that oath didn't work because that was no different than me taking an oath that consumed pick. It's not an oath. Torah doesn't recognize it as an oath. It's against the Torah. Sayonara. Adios. I'm off. I'm going to pick up my higher salary. I'll send you a Rosh Hashanah card next year. Singing <laughs> one. So they come to Rav Yair Bakrak and listen to what he says. He says, hold up. First of all, he says, we saw quickly, Tosvos was of the opinion that as long, unless you're an actual Evid Ivry, an actual servant, you can take a long contract. Why? Not for now. Then he says, hold up, one minute. We opened our shear, he says. He says, in 2023, we opened our shear. Why? Or better yet, who is the doctor working for? Who are you working for? for More than that, who are you working for? Probably the patient. No, no, no. Who are you working for? You're working for Hashem. You're not just a businessman making money so you can then pay tuition and pay and pay. You're work, You're you're doing a mitzvah when you're healing. You're serving Hashem. You're serving. You're ser, you're, 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 you're 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 healing. Hashem is Says Rav to this chazan, you ain't working for the show. Yes, you may have technically have the show on your and the letterhead. It says it says chazan whatever. But who? What are you working for? You're working for God. You're a chazan. You're you're uplifting everyone's tefillos. So you didn't take a shvua. You didn't swear to work for the show. You in fact, took a shvua to work, serve God. That's binding. Sorry, Charlie, you gotta stay. If that's true, it says of Zilberstein, the same should apply here as well. The doctors, they're not working for the hospital. Yes, technically they're employed by the hospital, but they're doing God's work. You do holy work, Elliot. You're, you're, you're restoring people's souls. You're not standing idly by while people are bleeding out. And therefore, that's reason number one why Rav Zilberstein says a doctor can't go on strike. Because they're not bound by this whole principle of don't be a slave to another human being because they're not. They're a slave to they're a slave to God. That's number one. Number two is if you look at two simonim later in Shulchan Aruch, two paragraphs later in Shulchan Aruch, Shulchan Aruch points out. This that we've been discussing this entire time, a poet can walk away. There are limitations. Imagine this. The guy's a baker. He's in the middle of cooking, baking. He's like, ah, I don't want to be here anymore. He walks out of the room and the place burns down. I don't know. You're a firefighter. He's in the middle of putting out a fire. Ah, I don't want to do this and walks away. Doesn't work. You can't walk away when it's called a Dabra Ovid, when there's a direct loss. A case of the Shulchanarach is a case where there's flax that's being uh, processed. You leave it in the water too long, it's going to get corroded and, 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 I guess, moldy. You can't walk away when you're actually in the middle of a job that if you walked away from it, it's going to, you're, you're going to incur an actual deficit to the owner. Again, think about the case of a firefighter walking away middle of a job and the house burns down. It doesn't work. Oh, but I don't want to be your servant. No, still, there are, there are limitations here. Therefore, he says, says as well, the doctor, what greater loss is there if, if, if we say this by monetary loss, he applies by monetary loss, what greater loss is there than when it comes to loss of health? The doctor's going to walk off a job, there's going to be a loss of health, and therefore, number two reason he says doctors can't go on strike. So he offers two solutions. I don't love both of them. And then we're gonna, I'm going to give you a third, a third solution, then we'll, I'll let you all go.
Number one is he says as follows. If the problem is a doctor is not allowed to, has, is working for God, and you can't ignore the fact that the patient's sick, because I have an idea. How about the doctor gets up, goes to a hospital across town, and, and employs himself there for the duration of the strike? So he's still helping people. He's still healing people. He's just not working in that hospital. Because maybe that would work. Number one. Number two is he says what the doctor can do is say, you know what? Walk into the hospital that day and say, I'm going to work. I can't leave the patients out to dry. So I'm just going to charge the patients and I'm not going to give the money to the hospital. And I'll walk in there. I'll, you know, those people pull out the credit card machine. Here, pay me up now and then I'll, t I'll heal you. And I won't, he won't pay the hospital. And that's effectively he's going on strike. So he's still working, but he's just not paying the hospital. I guess you can also go in there and, well, you have the, okay, let's put it that way. Now, I think that when I was in Israel, one of the strikes in Israel, the bus drivers all did that. They let everyone on the buses for free. So they still operated, but they just didn't, they didn't, they didn't take your cartis and uh, your Ravkov and swipe it. So the companies lost money, and that was effectively a strike. So the two options he gives. But I think the best way to look at it is as follows. Rav Zilberstein gives a marshal. He gives an analogy. And then I'll let you go. It says as follows. Actually, let's do a quick review. Number one, we opened up with, he said, doctors have an obligation to heal because they have to return, return a soul they can't stand idly by. Number two, he said, doctors also have to take money because it compromises the care when you get, when you get what you pay for. Number three, we said a, a worker has a right to walk away, but we're not so sure if it applies to a strike because you're, you're walking away because you want to claim you're not a servant, but now you're, you're really saying I'm a servant. I just don't, I want more money. Not so ethical, ethical or honest. But we said in the event that the circumstances so radically changed, in the case of the chickens, where now suddenly everyone's buying chickens, then maybe there's room to renegotiate contracts. If Cook said, therefore, we could say, go on strike in order to compel the parties to come to arbitration. Then we said, what about the doctors? We said, well, one, for one, doctors don't work for the hospital. Technically, they're doing God's work, so how can they go on strike? They're, they, they don't apply this whole idea of being a, a servant to another person, a servant to God. And we said, you're also to dove or you're incurring a loss. Says of Zilberstein as follows. Here's the story he gives. It's, a, it's an analogy, but it's very clever. There's a poor man who scraps together whatever money he has in Israel and builds himself a nice shed in order to have a couple cows. These cows are now, this is his livelihood. He milks them. They're living in the shed. The only problem is that the, the shed he, he erects is right next to the kibbutz shul. So the next day, the chazan gets in there, takes three steps back, but... And he smells the delicious smell of cows. So he's not very happy. The, the, pre, the, the president of the show, the chazin, the rabbi, they go before the dayan, the rabbinical judge, and they say, we got to do something. Can you please tell this poor man to move his shed? It's, he's, he's impinging on our ability to daven. To which point the dayan looks at them and begins to scream at them. Because you want to daven, you're going to take away the money of this poor man. It's all he has in life. And you want to take away his livelihood? Where's your sensitivity? This is all he has. And he, he chews them out. He screams at them. Come on, you live with the smell a little bit so this man can earn a little living so he can bring home for his family. So they walk out. Heads hung heads low, feeling very bad, realizing they, they lack sensitivity. Which point then, it's time for the, uh, the poor man to come in. And the rabbi begins to yell at him. He goes, for a few measly shekels, you're going to bother all these people's davening? They're trying to talk to the holy Rabbonus Olam. They're trying to daven. Now you're going to, because you want a couple, where do you think your money comes from in the first place? It all comes from God. And now for a few shekels, you're make, putting up this big fight and not willing to move your, your cow shed? Come on, man. Now he realizes he's also in the wrong and he walks out. Immediately he begins to talk, trying to figure out what, what, what was the rabbi's point. He said, we're both wrong, to which point the third chacham in the room says to them, let me tell you. The rabbi was telling the key was each of you have to focus on yourselves. 
you people who are davening, you have a point. He shouldn't be there, but focus on yourself and try to cultivate a sensitivity within yourself to recognize where the Ani is, where this poor person is. This is what he needs in his life. And therefore, you have to find a way to be able to live with that smell so that he can earn a livelihood. And then turn to the Ani, and from, and from your perspective, you're trying to earn a livelihood, but think about the other people around you. And yes, you're trying to earn a livelihood. It's so hard, but also recognize you live within this greater community and it's affecting other people. Each of you think for yourselves. Cesar of Zilberstein apply the same thing over here as well. When it comes to the doctor, you have a patient in front of you. You can't just leave the patient out to dry because you want more money. He's a patient. They're sick. You have the ability to heal them. You have an obligation to heal them. You must go and heal them. But then he turns to the patient, or for that matter, to society, and says, but here you have a doctor, especially over the last couple of years, you think about what doctors went through over COVID. You have an obligation to make sure they earn a, a respectable livelihood. After going through all the training and schooling and working what they work and going through the stress of being a doctor, we as a society have to make sure that doctors are earning what they should be earning. So while the doctor shouldn't leave anyone out to dry say, I need more money, but the, the, the patient society has to say, we have to make sure doctors are getting respectable livelihood, especially in a, in a society where everyone else can go on strike. So what are you going to say? Doctors can't go on strike? So again, we have to think about it from both perspectives. So I leave you with that. And I leave you with one more just footnote, and that is, with the way unions are set up nowadays, it's best the doctors go on strike either way because if a doctor or nurse doesn't go on strike, they're going to be ostracized and that's going to compromise the care, care down the line either way. So even halakhically, it's not the best idea, but halakhically, it's also the best idea nowadays because we want to avoid the ostr getting ostracized. So I leave you with that and I wish you all a wonderful week.